One of the greatest ironies of our time is the fact that you have birth control that's supposed to be something that's facilitating sexual behavior, or promoting the ability to have sex, and that it can make you totally lose you know, interest in sex altogether. Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. Human beings have been using contraceptives for centuries. In fact, there's even evidence of contraceptive use in ancient civilizations. However, contraceptive methods have evolved considerably over time, and there was perhaps no bigger leap forward than the invention of the birth control pill in the 1950s. However, despite birth control pills being around for nearly three quarters of a century at this point, there's still a lot we don't know about them and how they affect us beyond pregnancy prevention. A growing body of research points to a number of psychological side effects of being on the pill. It can change everything from your interest in sex to your likelihood of developing depression, to your stress responses. As a result, you sort of become a different person in a lot of ways when you're on the pill. So let's talk about how hormonal birth control changes human psychology. I am joined by Dr. Sarah Hill, an award-winning research psychologist and professor whose work is at the intersection of evolutionary biology, social psychology, and neuroscience. She is author of the fantastic book, Your Brain on Birth Control, The Surprising Science of Women, hormones, and the law of unintended consequences. This is going to be a fascinating conversation. Stick around and we're going to jump in right after the break. When it comes to sex, most people have to figure out everything all on their own. Fortunately, there's a solution for this and it's called Beducated. Their online courses can take your intimate life to the next level and teach you about a ton of topics, including how to awaken pleasure and explore your body, techniques you can try in bed with a partner, and so much more. Try all of their courses today for free, and if you like what you see, you can get 60% off the yearly pass by using my last name, Miller, as the coupon code. Check the show notes for the link or visit beducated.com, and be sure to use my last name to get your discount. Enjoy. Looking to become a certified sex educator, counselor, or therapist? Check out the Modern Sex Therapy Institutes. MSTI offers certifications in sex therapy, LGBTQIA affirmative therapy, alternative relationships, and more, as well as a PhD program in clinical sexology. All programs can be completed 100% online and are flexible and customizable to meet the needs and schedules of even the busiest participants. You can take live courses the third weekend of each month and choose from over 300 archived workshops taught by renowned experts in the field. For more information, visit ModernSexTherapyInstitutes.com. That's ModernSexTherapyInstitutes.com. Hi, Sarah, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Hi, Justin. So great to be here. Thank you so much for joining me. So I'd like to begin our conversation by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into studying human sexuality and relationships in the first place. So what is it that drew you to this area? Like a lot of people, you know, especially when I was in my uh, 20s, you know, going through college, relationships are paramount, right? And sex is paramount. It's like what we spend all of our time thinking about. So I'm just a regular human being like everybody else, but I decided to take it one step further and make that my research career, you know, because I was always really interested in why do we prefer the, you know, the partners that we prefer? Like, why do we like some people more than other people? 
why do these sexual double standards exist for women compared to men? And, you know, I was really interested in, in all of that and then the motivational processes that are responsible for it. And so I went on to work at University of Texas at Austin is where I, I did my PhD work working with David Buss and was studying human mating psychology. And that's what I spent my whole early career focusing on was just really understanding attraction and partner choice. And it really wasn't until I was about six years into my role as a professor and researcher that I started really getting interested in the birth control pill. And the thing that got me interested in the birth control pill was that I went off of it. <laughs> and like a lot of people, like a lot of women, I was on the birth control pill pretty steadily from the time I was about 17 onward until I had my babies. So I had my kiddos, but I got pregnant really quickly. So I was, I was only off the pill for a really short period of time before getting pregnant and then during lactation. Um, but then as soon as I was done lactating, like I went right back on it. And so I never really had any span of time that I wasn't on the pill until I was about 30 years old. And then I went off of it. And about three months later, I just noticed that I felt like this completely different person. I just felt like I'd woken up from a really sort of cloudy, foggy dream. And all of a sudden I was in this like beautifully textured three-dimensional reality. And I was just really shocked by this. Like I, I was finding myself going to the gym again. Um, I was like really motivated to exercise and just move my body. I was like interested in sex again in a way that I hadn't been in a long time in a way that I thought that like, cause I was, you know, in my early thirties, I had assumed that my sex drive like wasn't really awake just cause I was like getting older, but you know, <laughs> that, that wasn't the case. I like, that sort of woke up. I was having like more emotional responses, but you know, both like good and bad. It just, everything felt like it had more amplitude. Life felt like it had more amplitude. And so I started to look into what does research know about hormonal birth control in the brain. And what I found was that there's been a lot of research, some of which has been done for decades now, that's been reporting a range of different types of psychological side effects of taking these synthetic hormones. Thank you for sharing all of that. And, you know, it has me thinking about how it's one thing to read scientific research about sex and relationships. It's another thing to actually have and experience yourself and how that can dramatically alter your perception of things. And so, you know, that's something that I've always found to be sort of personally interesting is, you know, there are things that I might read about. And then if I actually experience it in real life, I have a very different take on it because kind of having that real world experience is so different from just reading some text on a piece of paper. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your brain on birth control. I think almost everybody knows that birth control pills have various side effects. However, we tend to hear mostly about the more easily observable physical ones, such as weight gain and acne control. And acne control is actually a reason that some people take birth control. It's because it's a beneficial side effect. But there seem to be some important but lesser known psychological effects. And one of them is something you were hinting at previously, which is lower sexual desire. So how common is decreased sex drive when you're on the pill? And why might hormonal birth control reduce your interest in sex? 
Oh, no, absolutely. You know, one of the, what I always say to people is like one of the greatest ironies of our time is the fact that you have birth control that's supposed to be something that's facilitating sexual behavior, or promoting the ability to have sex, and that it can make you totally lose, you know, interest in sex altogether. And, you know, for a lot of uh, women, it, it is incredibly common. Um, and this doesn't happen to everyone, but many women do report having decreases in both uh, sexual desire. So, of course, the desire for sex and and seeking sex out, um, but also sexual function. And so um, the physiological sexual response can become dampened. It can make sex painful. Some women report decreased orgasms. Some women have reported shrinking of their clitoris. Um, So there's a lot of things that can go on that can potentially monkey with a woman's sexual desire and function. And the mechanisms behind this are, are, are sort of multifold. And to really get into that, you know, we have to just understand a little bit about what hormonal birth control does to do its job. And so I'm just going to quickly, you know, sort of give you the elevator version of what that is. And then we'll talk about how it can affect and throw a monkey wrench into sexual desire. You know, the birth control pill works by preventing ovulation, which of course is the thing that allows you to not get pregnant from sex, right? If you're not releasing an egg, you don't have to worry about it. But the thing that a lot of women don't realize is that ovulation isn't just about releasing an egg, because when your body is releasing an egg, it's also releasing the sex hormone estrogen. So like one of the biggest producers of estrogen in the body is when the ovaries are being stimulated, they're starting to cause these egg follicles to mature. That causes the release of high levels of estrogen. And estrogen is something that we know really fuels the female sexual response. So there's tons of research showing that when estrogen is high and increased or across the cycle, that women report more sexual desire, they report having more sex, they report greater partner attraction. I mean, these are really important processes that contribute to the female sexual response. And this is something that gets fueled by estrogen. And then after the estrogenic phase of the cycle, so among, you know, for a naturally cycling woman who is ovulating, you you go through this period when your egg follicle is maturing, you're having a lot of estrogen being released in your body. And then after the egg gets released, that empty egg follicle actually becomes a temporary endocrine structure that releases the sex hormone progesterone. Right. And when progesterone is being released, and this is something that, that isn't necessarily favorable to sexual desire. In fact, research finds that progesterone levels are actually inversely related to women's sexual desire. So it seems to be inhibitory. During this, this type of hormonal message, getting this message of, of progesterone tells the brain to stop stimulating the ovaries to stimulate new egg follicles. And so essentially, um, progesterone prevents ovulation. And so what birth control pills have done is they've taken these synthetic hormones and they've created this daily dose of hormones that you take that has a relatively high level of these synthetic progesterone, which is known as a progestin. So it's got relatively high levels of progestins and then it's got very low levels of estrogen. And this hormonal message is sort of mimicking what happens after ovulation when the brain is no longer stimulating the ovaries to prepare an egg to be released. This is what the mechanism by which the birth control pill works, right? You get the same daily message every day. And so your brain never goes into the the role of of stimulating the ovaries to mature egg follicles. But what this is doing is, is sort of threefold, right? First, it's given that you're preventing ovulation, it's preventing the release of estrogen, right? Instead, you're getting this really high level of synthetic progesterone and synthetic estrogen, which is pretty low. And that's not good for female sexual desire. 
The second thing that happens is that those synthetic progestins, because they are acting like progesterone in the brain, given that progesterone is sexually inhibitory, you get an inhibitory response and the female sexual response. And then on top of it, when you take these synthetic hormones, because the dosing is imperfect in everybody's bodies, just because it's one dose and everybody's taking it and we're all built differently, usually what happens is our livers to cope with all of these hormones that we're taking that our bodies might not be used to start releasing sex hormone binding globulins. And what these sex hormone binding globulins do is they bind up our free testosterone levels. So now we have another thing because testosterone affects women's sexual desire, just like it does men's. And so now you've got this like three pronged attack on the female sexual response and libido right? You have estrogen being really low, you have progesterone or these synthetic progestins being high, and your free testosterone levels decrease dramatically. Research finds that they're about 60% lower in pill takers relative to what they are in non-pill takers. And so these three things together can uh, sound the death knell to the female sexual response. And, And so this is what's responsible for the decrease in sexual desire that a lot of women experience. I think that's the best, most comprehensive explanation I've heard for how birth control pills work and specifically how they might change our sexual psychology in a lot of ways. And so it is changing our sex hormones. And, you know, you were talking about the role of estrogen in female sexual response. I was just working on my textbook chapter for the next edition where I talk about hormones and was talking about the role of estrogen in vaginal lubrication and in blood flow to the genital area. And so it has all of these important effects on sexual arousal. And so when you start understanding the nature of that, it becomes very easy to see how this can lead to reduced interest in sex and maybe some arousal difficulties in some cases. But as you said, I think it's important to mention everybody's body is different. Not everybody experiences these sexual side effects. There are different formulations of the birth control pill that are on the market. And so sometimes it's a matter of trial and error and trying a few different ones. Uh, to figure out what might work best with your body. But yeah, so there can be that sexual side effect. And another potential sexual side effect of the pill that you talk about in your work and that there's a lot of scientific literature on is that birth control pills might change the types of men that heterosexual women are attracted to. And this research suggests that women's attraction to men changes throughout the menstrual cycle, such that there's a greater preference for manly men, if you will, during their most fertile time. And so when women are taking hormonal birth control, they don't experience those shifts because they have that stable instead of fluctuating hormone level. Now, there was a meta-analysis on this subject published a few years back, concluding that this was a pretty robust effect. But then a subsequent meta-analysis came out concluding that there was no effect. So honestly, I'm not entirely sure what to make of that literature anymore because different studies seem to be saying different things. So I'm curious for your take on it. So do you think birth control pills really change women's patterns of sexual attraction? Yes. Well, so first, let me just speak really quickly about those meta-analyses. And that second meta-analysis that you referred to that said that, you know, oh, there's not an effect, it turns out that they didn't do their statistics right. And other researchers went back and published rejoinders on that, showing that if you analyze the data and the way that the data really need to be treated, that the effect is there. There seems to be a, a sort of politically motivated group of folks who just really don't want there to be ovulatory effects on women's (laughs) sexual behavior. I feel very confident 
in the research that finds the changes in female libido and, and sexual desire, um, and even the preference for um, greater cues to masculinity and testosterone levels for women when estrogen levels are high. I feel really, I feel very confident in that effect, as you were saying, and, and, and so articulately, might I, might I add, <laughs> that you know when you have these levels of estrogen being suppressed by the birth control pill and they're being supplanted by really low levels of estrogen, the prediction that you would make, just you know, based on theoretical grounds, is that given that estrogen promotes this preference for a sort of, as you call them, like manly men, that we should expect to see that when you have something, when you're taking a, a pill that's keeping your estrogen levels really low, that that should be associated then with a decreased preference for testosterone markers and partners. And there is some pretty good evidence now that is consistent with that hypothesis, right? That finds that not only do women who are on hormonal birth control exhibit a preference for less masculinized male faces, but they've done studies where they analyze the faces of men who were chosen as partners by women who are either naturally cycling or who are on hormonal birth control. And what you see is that there's differences in the sort of number of testosterone markers and the, just the perceived masculinity of those men by an outside group of evaluators, which is consistent with this idea that the pill could potentially influence who we are attracted to. And just as like a, a side note that's related, we're getting ready to publish a study that we've been doing. We've been working with Natural Cycles, which is a fertility tracking app that uses basal body temperature to track women's ovulation. And women in the app can also do things like they log their libido and they log their sexual behavior, right? And so we can look at what is a woman's sexual desire and then what is a woman's sexual behavior. And we sent a survey to the, the users of Natural Cycles asking them about what type of birth control they were on when they chose their partner. And all of these women are now not on hormonal birth control, right? Because they're using natural cycles. And so they, these are women who reported having, you know, either discontinued hormonal birth control or weren't ever on it. And they're not on it now. And we just sent a survey and we divided up the users whose data we had into two piles, right? Those who were on hormonal birth control and those who weren't. And we were able to track their libido and sexual behavior over the course of several, of several months. And what we found was fascinating and that was for women who chose their partners when they were using hormonal birth control, right? And now everybody's off of it. But for women who chose their partners when they were using hormonal birth control, they had sex less frequently across the cycle than women who chose their partners while they were naturally cycling, right? Which is consistent with the idea that you might be less tuned into sexiness cues, right? And like less sexually attracted to your partner. What was also really interesting about this is when you looked at the two groups of women, there were no differences in libido, right? So these women are experiencing just as much sexual desire. It's just that the women who chose their partners while they were naturally cycling were using that desire to translate into sexual behavior. Whereas the women who chose their partners on hormonal birth control were less likely to do so. And again, this is just consistent with the idea. And this might sound terrifying and, and scary, but, you know, and I don't think that it is. And we're not talking about huge differences. And even when you look at the masculinity differences, like in some of the published research, they'll show you like the average facial composite chosen by the pill takers compared to the non-pill takers. And it's not like you look at these two guys and you're like, oh my God, like, Wow. Like that guy is so masculine and that guy looks like a girl. And said they're very slight differences. They're very small differences. But they're differences that could potentially be meaningful. And I think that they're differences that it's important that women know about 
So that way, you know, if they're making decisions for themselves about whether to be on hormonal birth control or not, particularly if they're unpartnered and, you know, they don't really need it for birth control purposes anyway, this is really important information to have. Yeah. So fascinating. I do have a section in my textbook where I talk a little bit about some of this literature on partner choice and what the implications of that might be. And I'm going to have to go back and look at some of the follow-ups to the meta-analysis controversy. I think I stopped following it after a little while because it just I, I wasn't sure what to make of it, but I'm going to have to go back and revisit it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's talk about mental health and the pill. Now, in general, women experience depression at higher rates than men, and rates of depression are on the rise in young adults. Also, there's some research to suggest that these rates are increasing faster for young women than they are for young men. And at the same time, usage of birth control pills has been on the rise, and one of the side effects is an increased risk of developing depression. So my question for you is why hormonal birth control might up the odds of depression and whether you think the gender gap in depression might at least partially be a function of high levels of birth control use among women. Absolutely. You know, it seems very clear that when it comes to things like autoimmunity, for example, and depression and anxiety as well, you have these syndromes that are very tightly tied to women's sex hormones because you see changes in women's mental health and also the risk for autoimmunity and other things that very much tightly correlate to big sort of upsets in hormonal quote unquote balance, right? So when girls go into puberty, all of a sudden their probability of developing mental health problems starts to increase. Like there's actually no sex difference in the tendency to develop depression or anxiety before kids go into puberty. It's, it's all what goes on when the sex hormones come on the scene. And then of course, during the menopausal transition, you get big changes in women's mental health as well. And then, of course, as women are adults, as, as you noted, women's risk of developing problems with mental health are just significantly greater than men's. And there, there are a few things to take from this. And then we can talk about the pill specifically. Women's sex hormones play a role in regulating mental health in the absence of any type of intervention like the birth control pill or hormone therapy. The research has been very consistent in sort of implicating sex hormone changes or just, you know, sex hormones as, as really being a big contributing factor to that gender gap that we see with mental health problems. And as you noted, there is a considerable amount of research now that implicates birth control pill use in the development of mental health problems. And again, this is just like with sexual desire. Women are so different from one another and, and, you know, not every woman is going to experience difficulties with their mental health, but many, many women do. And in fact, it's one of the most common reasons behind women discontinuing uh, hormonal birth control pill use is because it is causing mental health related issues. This is another one of these things, just like what we get when we're trying to understand the relationship between birth control pill use and changes in sexual desire is something that's multi-causal. And so the, the most frequently sort of implicated change that goes on with use of hormonal birth control is uh, changes in GABAergic activity in the brain. And so GABA is a neurotransmitter. And when GABA receptors get stimulated, it's something that slows the brain down and it's very calming to the brain. So GABA is a, an inhibitory neurotransmitter, which means that it does slow us our brain down. It chills us out. GABA receptors are what gets stimulated when we have a glass of wine. Right, or if we're doing yoga or meditation, that's something that causes GABAergic activity in the brain. And so just to sort of get people's brains wrapped around like what that feels like, that's what it feels like. It feels like calming. 
And one of the most potent stimulators of GABA receptors in uh, women's brains is a neurosteroid called allopregnanolone, and it's a metabolite of progesterone. And when progesterone is being broken down and metabolized by the body, it releases allopregnanolone. And when allopregnanolone is on the scene, one of the, the things that it does is it stimulates GABA receptors in our brain. And so it has a very calming, sort of relaxing effect on the brain and on the body. And this is actually one of the reasons that during the luteal phase of the cycle, which is the two weeks prior to getting your period, women oftentimes report feeling a little bit more like staying in and they feel like they have lower energy levels and they feel a little tired. That's GABA. Um, That's part of what's happening is you're having this sort of relaxing, calming experience in your brain. When you're on hormonal birth control, because those progestins that are in hormonal birth control aren't actually synthesized from progesterone, most of them are made from testosterone, and then they just alter the molecular structure to be able to stimulate progesterone receptors. When they're being broken down in the body, they don't release allopregnanolone. And so women who are on hormonal birth control have very low levels of allopregnanolone, and they've compared levels of allopregnanolone between women who are on hormonal birth control to naturally cycling women at all points in the cycle, including the follicular phase when progesterone levels are low. And women who are naturally cycling still have significantly higher levels at that point. So this is believed to be one of the big contributors to women's depression risk on the pill. And then there's also um, some changes in glucocorticoid release that there seems to be some dysregulation in women's stress hormones that can also potentially contribute to problems with mental health. And lastly, of course, not getting that nice boost in estrogen, which is something that we know is related to feelings of energy and, and sort of vibrance. Not getting that monthly is also something that may contribute to some of the differences in mood and mental health that we see on, in women who are naturally cycling compared to on the pill. And do I think that this is a contributor to some of the gender gap that we see in mental health? Absolutely. Like, do I think that it's the only thing? No. Like, I think that sex hormones are a big driver in the sex difference that we see. I feel pretty confident that birth control pill use is is eating up a lot of that variability that we're getting. But obviously, you know, just sex hormone variation and some women being really sensitive to fluctuating levels of sex hormones is also something that can contribute to some of these sex differences that we see. So interesting and also so complex, you know, so it sounds like part of the story is that there might be a little bit of a dulling effect when it comes to our ability to experience positive things and and to feel them very intensely if we're kind of in that state of more relaxation, if you will. But then also there could be a synergistic effect of some of these various side effects. Like if you're not as interested in sex, we know that sex is a powerful mood booster. You know, that's one of the things that when people engage in sexual activity, they report more positive mood states the next day. And so if you're not getting that mood boost from sex, that could be another part of kind of what's going on here with the mental health stuff. So as with everything, it's complicated. I mean, that could cause strife in the relationship, right? Like if you have low sexual desire and your partner doesn't, I mean, that also can cause conflict. And so there's all, you know, there's undoubtedly an incredibly complex picture. Yeah. Oh, now that has me thinking about how I've got to update my section on birth control pills and their effects and apply a more biopsychosocial lens to it because there's so many different things going on there. <laughs> 
But one of the parts of your book that I found to be fascinating and that was actually completely new to me is that hormonal birth control seems to affect women's stress responses. And specifically, it seems to dampen the release of the stress hormone cortisol. And that got me curious. I did a little digging with a Google Scholar search to see, you know, what are some of the different things that have been published on this? And I saw one study that suggested that this might have implications for emotional memory. So if you're on the pill and you're not having strong physiological responses, to stress, this might impair the encoding of emotional memories in the brain. So can you tell us a bit more about this? You know, why is hormonal birth control impacting cortisol release and what are the implications of that? Yeah, well, I think that you just hit the nail on the head in terms of one of the big ones. And we tend to think about cortisol as being this like, you know, redheaded stepchild of hormones where everybody thinks that it's a bad guy, but cortisol is actually incredibly important. And when we release cortisol in response to something that's acutely stressful, it's actually very adaptive. And as you noted, it's something that helps to sort of shuttle information from our environment into our long-term memory. And cortisol gets released in response to bad stressors, right? So things like, you know, being chased by a hungry lion or, you know, this like terribly embarrassing thing that happened. Um, but cortisol also gets released in response to positive stressors. So like your wedding day or the day that your child is born or the day you get a really big raise or some really exciting news. And cortisol, it redistributes resources in the body to help um, promote the birth of new neurons and shuttle things into our memory. So like, hey, this is important. Remember it. And it also dumps fat and sugar into our bloodstream. So that way, if there's something going on that requires us to have quick access to energy, we can get access to it. And so cortisol is actually, it's important to have it being released in response to stressors for those reasons. And there's been research now that's been published for more than 30 years showing that hormonal birth control pill use seems to lead to dysregulation in the release of the stress hormone cortisol. And uh, in particular, most of this research has found that women who are on the pill have a blunted response to of cortisol, and meaning that they're not really releasing cortisol to the degree that they're supposed to, or at all, in response to stressful situations. And, and one of the downstream implications for this, of course, is that this could impair women's emotional memory formation, right? They might be less able to remember emotionally laden events from their environment. And there's some evidence that's consistent with this, which is something that obviously is really important. And in terms of like why this happens, you know, this is something that still isn't totally all that well understood in the literature. It seems to me like the big picture seems to suggest that when you start taking hormonal birth control, that it might actually cause the body to have overstimulation of your glucocorticoid receptors. And so essentially what this is saying is that your cortisol receptors, which are the receptors on the cells that sort of read the cortisol message, like when cortisol is being released, they're what picks it up and says, okay, let's do cortisol things now, is that there's something about the progestins that stimulates these receptors. So essentially they're binding to these and making the body think that there's a bunch of cortisol in the body. And that this hyperstimulation of the cortisol receptors is essentially over time causing the body to just shut down the stress response because the body thinks that it's producing too much cortisol because most everything in the body, especially when we're talking about neuroendocrinology, so the links between our brain and our hormones, most things are regulated in a feedback loop. And so if our body is like, wow, like there's a lot of cortisol here, it'll stop releasing cortisol. 
or it will start releasing a bunch of these binding globulins, just like we talked about with testosterone binding globulins. We also have cortisol or glucocorticoid binding globulins. And what you find in pill-taking women is that you get these really low levels of cortisol being released in response to stressful situations. You get really high levels of these binding globulins. And then there's some other things that go on that they've tested at different levels, like in the communication between the brain and the pituitary and the pituitary and the adrenal glands. And all of these things seem to suggest that the body is just shutting down the stress response. And so the, the current wisdom is when you start taking hormonal birth control, that it might cause this state of hyper cortisolemia, and then your body is like, forget this. And then it shuts down the stress response altogether. And, you know, and this is something that has um, implications, as you noted, for the ability to form emotional memories. It could have implications for things like a woman's mental health, because we know that the ability to hold on to emotionally meaningful things is actually really important for mental health. And so too is our ability to feel like we can cope with stress. And cortisol is part of the way that we cope with stress. And so not having the sort of regular release of cortisol in response to stressors may be something that leads women to feel overwhelmed and unable to cope and then potentially contributing to poor mental health. And lastly, cortisol plays an important role in terms of regulating the activities of um, the immune system and in particular inflammatory activity in the body. And so another possibility is that lacking you know, this cortisol response that we're supposed to get in response to stress that this may lead to a dysregulation in, in inflammatory activity in the body as well, potentially in ways that contribute to another big gender gap, which is that gender gap in the development of autoimmunity. So interesting. <laughs> there are just so many things that we're, we're learning, and it's surprising that it's taken us so long to get this information out there because as you've noted in some of your writings and in some of the talks that I've seen you give, we've known about a lot of this stuff for decades, but it is not widely known outside of small academic circles. So as a point of clarification, you know, we've been talking about birth control pills here, but are the effects that we're discussing going to be similar with any hormonal contraceptive, such as if you're using the contraceptive implant or a hormonal IUD? Yeah, yeah. So all hormonal birth control, and uh, I'll talk about. I'm, I'm going to say that with a little asterisk by it at the moment, and I'll that I'll return to. But hormonal birth control works by suppressing the activities of the the brain ovary axis using that mechanism that we talked about by releasing progestins. It tells the brain not to stimulate the ovaries, and so they all do the same thing regardless of how they get into your body. It's that progestin releasing and telling your brain not to stimulate the ovaries. That's responsible for the side effects. And that's something that all of these different forms of hormonal birth control have in common. My asterisk is about the hormonal IUD. When most women go on it, because it does cause the release of progestins, and even though doctors like to tell their patients sometimes that the progestins are acting locally, just within you know, the uterus and on the ovaries, um, that's not possible. It's biologically impossible because the way that hormones communicate with the body is they get into the bloodstream and they travel to every place that blood goes. And then they get picked up by every cell in the body that has receptors for those hormones. So there's no such thing as direct communication between a hormone and anything in the body. It communicates with every cell in the body that has a receptor. So the, this hormonal IUD... When women are first on it, because it has progestin in it, most women have their, their ovulatory cycle is suppressed by the hormonal IUD. Interestingly, if women are on it for a long time, 
Like, for example, there's research looking at women who are on it for like five years or more. At that point, most women start ovulating again. And the reason for this is that the progestin levels in the hormonal IUD, even though they're not acting locally, they are relatively low. And so over time, your body is able to tune that out. It's like, eh, we don't need to pay attention to that. And then your ovulatory cycle will resume. And so here's what's also really interesting about it is some women will begin ovulating again pretty quickly after they start the hormonal IUD. Some women, it takes you know five years. Some women never ovulate when they're on the hormonal IUD. And so the, the degree to which women experience these side effects that are associated with having your, your brain ovary axis turned off is a lot more variable on the hormonal IUD than it is on any other type of hormonal birth control because some women feel great. And my expectation or my hunch is that those are the women who are ovulating when they're on it because um, that's associated again with all of these regular hormonal changes that make women feel good and, and like themselves. And that it's these women who are not ovulating yet, right? Who will ovulate after they've been on it for a while or who never ovulate on it that who have the really strong side effects. And so for that one, I just say that the effects are a lot more variable just because you do get that sort of a change. I had no idea about that. I'm learning so much from you. So I'm so glad that I invited you onto the show. Now, I have a question that I'm sure is on a lot of my listeners' minds. So what should they take away from all of this? I mean, there are lots of things to like about the birth control pill. For one thing, it gives women control over their bodies and their reproductive health. And in that way, it can be very liberating. And it also has benefits to people with certain health conditions like endometriosis. But at the same time, it has some of these unintended side effects that we've been discussing. So what do you want listeners to take away from all of this? What I want listeners to take away from all of this is that um, there's no one-size-fits-all solution when it comes to regulating your fertility as a woman, and that it's really all about educating yourself about what the trade-offs are that you're making when you go on hormonal birth control. I mean, as you noted, there's so many benefits that we get from this invention that you know came about, whatever, in the 50, 60 years ago now. It allows us to have reproductive autonomy. It allows us to pace when we want to get pregnant. It's cheap. It's easy to access for most people. There's a lot of really positive things that come with pill use, and including yeah, reductions in, in symptoms associated with like PMS, PMDD, as you noted, endometriosis, uh, PCOS. There's a lot to recommend. This is really just about understanding what are the trade-offs that are possible when you take hormonal birth control. And so that way, if you start to feel not the way that you want to feel, that way you are able to either look for something different in terms of a different form of birth control, or even just try a new formulation. I mean, there's almost a hundred different formulations of hormonal birth control that are out there. And each one is a little bit different. And each one of us is a little bit different. And as you noted, and I think it's really important for listeners to consider is that most people don't have mental health problems on the pill. Most people don't report having a sexual side effects on the pill. You know, most people are fine. You know, it's, it's, it's really all in about knowing what the trade-offs are that you're potentially going to be making, know what to look out for. And so that way, anytime that you're making a decision, you're doing so in a way that has your eyes wide open. I think that's such an important point because I think it could be easy for people to listen to the long list of potential side effects and think that 
hormonal birth control is inherently bad and that people shouldn't be taking it. But the point, the takeaway is really that this is about being an informed consumer and really knowing what it is that you're putting in your body. And so that in the event that you do experience side effects, you know what to do about it. And you can try, as you mentioned, all of these different options that are out there. And there's usually going to be a solution because if one method doesn't work or causes side effects, there might be a better formulation for you. And again, it all comes back to knowing and understanding your own body. Exactly. Yes. Very well said. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Sarah. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and get a copy of your book, Your Brain on Birth Control? Yeah. So you can find me um, on Instagram and Twitter and all other social networks. And my handle is at Sarah E. Hill, PhD. And that's Sarah with an H. So Sarah E. Hill, PhD. And uh, you can also find me online at sarahehill.com. You can find uh, This Is Your Brain on Birth Control anywhere that books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, your local bookstore. Support local bookstores. Thank you again for your time, Sarah. And thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.